Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Off the Charts Football Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Spratt from Sports Info Solutions, and I'm joined, as always, by Aaron Schatz of Football Outsiders. You know, we're, we're recording this on Friday, so we're a game into the Week 14 slate, and I've just been kind of into the last couple of weeks how many great games there have been. You know, on last week's podcast, we were previewing that uh, the Ravens-Dolphins game that ended up not being quite as good as expected, but really important for the playoff picture. Last night, there was a really great game between the Chiefs and the Raiders that was extremely important, and we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, and then also, this week, we've got a Ravens-Patriots game on Monday night that's really fantastic as well, especially given the Ravens and how they played last week. So we're going to get into all of that today on today's show. Uh, Aaron, let's start with that Chiefs-Oakland game from last night. It stood out to me because your Playoff Odds article on ESPN earlier in the week mentioned that this was the most important game of the season so far. So could you explain a little bit about why that was the case and what the playoff ramifications were of the Chiefs' win? Right. It was so important because there hasn't been a game so far this year that had so much impact on who was going to be in or win the Super Bowl. I mean, the game doesn't have a very big impact on who's going to make the playoffs. Both of these teams were likely to make the playoffs before we played this game, and they're both over 98% after the game. But the Super Bowl odds have changed significantly for three different teams because of this game. Because now Kansas City is more likely to win the AFC West than Oakland is, and that significantly raises Kansas City's odds of making the Super Bowl and lowers Oakland's. Kansas City's Super Bowl odds uh, of making it not winning it, but making it, went from 9.3% to 22.6% with the win last night. While Oakland's odds of making the Super Bowl basically dropped roughly in half uh, to 16%. Meanwhile, the Patriots' odds of making the Super Bowl also went up from about 35 to 41% because they now have a one-game lead on Kansas City and Oakland, or will if they beat Baltimore. Right. And uh, that gives them the inside track for the number one seed. Oakland, if Oakland had won this game, they would have had the number one uh, seed, the inside track for the number one seed. Now the Patriots do. So now the Patriots win the number one seed in two-thirds of our simulations, and Oakland and Kansas City each win it in about one-sixth of our simulations. So last night's win was very good for Kansas City and pretty good for New England and very bad for Oakland. Right. Talking about the game specifically, the Chiefs' defense is really what stood out to me. You know, they were ranked 11th in DVOA entering the week, but the Raiders have been one of the best offenses all year, and they limited Derek Carr to just 117 yards on 41 passes. Is, is this a team where defensively they've been making improvements? And I'm wondering specifically why, whether that might have been since Justin Houston rejoined the team four weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, this is a really strong defense, and they have been now for two years. So it's kind of surprising to note that they're – Defensive DVOA is not actually better <laughs> yeah, than 11th, right, 10 yeah. or so. I don't have last night's numbers, but they were 10th in uh, defense through week 9 at 6% better than average. 21st in weeks 10 through 13, 3% worse than average. But last night was such a good performance that it probably makes it so that the defense has been about the same in the second half of the season as it has been in the first half. But it hasn't been better. It's really just been good all year. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that seems fair to me. Houston specifically does have four and a half sacks over the last three weeks. 
And as a unit, um, they've had the third highest pressure rate on defense since week 12 as well. So that part of the game is certainly working. I know that overall defense is much more complex than one player, but things are looking good for the Chiefs in that respect. And I think they're looking good for the Chiefs in other respects too. You mentioned how they now pulled ahead of the Raiders um, with the tiebreaker because the Chiefs actually beat the Raiders both times they played this this year, which is why even though they're both 10-3, and three, the Chiefs are, have such, such an advantage there. But I wanted to also ask you about the remaining schedule because um, there are three games left in the season for both of these teams. So the Raiders, if they win one more game than the Chiefs, will continue, they'll win the West anyway and get a bye almost certainly, I would think. So right. do the Raiders have a good look at their schedule to, to have a better chance to do that, or are the Chiefs in the driver's seat? Right, that's the thing. The Chiefs have the better remaining schedule. Uh, both teams go to San Diego. Both teams play an AFC South team at home, which at this point looks roughly like the same thing, whether you know the Raiders play the Colts, the Chiefs play the Titans. Uh, the other thing, though, is the Broncos. Oakland has to go to Denver. Kansas City gets to play Denver at home. And that's the difference in the schedules, and that is the reason why between that and the tiebreaker, Kansas City has a significant advantage. So we now have Kansas City winning the division in 68% of our simulations because between having the tiebreaker and getting the Broncos at home, they just have it a lot easier than Oakland the rest of the way. Oakland really needed that game last night. Yeah. You know, what's really funny is that either that Chiefs versus Titans game or Raiders versus Colts game, could that potentially be a preview of the wildcard weekend matchup between those teams? I mean, that seems kind of silly to think that the Chiefs or Raiders would have to go on the road, but this, I guess this sort of thing happens every year. Um, well, the wildcard matchup, yeah. I mean, uh, the thing is that the Titans, my guess is that the AFC South team gets the four seed and the AFC North team gets the the three seed. The three seed. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, whichever one of the Raiders or the Chiefs doesn't win the division probably goes to the AFC South team in, on wild card weekend. Yeah, that's crazy. And honestly, we'll be favored. <laughs> oh, for sure. Probably by but a Kansas City amount. or Oakland would very much easily be favored at Tennessee, at Indianapolis, and my God, might be favored at Houston by over a touchdown. Yeah, no, I could absolutely see that. Um, let's pivot a little bit to talk about one of my favorite teams to talk about, the Detroit Lions. I mean, it, we haven't probably talked about them as much as the Eagles over the course of this season because the Eagles no. have always been at the top of the rankings and the Lions have been at the bottom. They're the antimatter Eagles. <laughs> I like that. It's a great term They're for They're the it. Eagles of Earth, too. And the Lions have kind of been getting more and more in our face in that respect, I guess, over the last few weeks. At this point, they're still the number 26 team in DVOA, so obviously very near the bottom, but they're up to an 80.4% chance to make the playoffs at 8-4. and four. They just keep winning these close games, and, you know, I mean, it's, it doesn't seem that surprising, given that all of their games are close, that they would be sort of a middle-of-the-pack team. I mean, the one-versus-loss distinction is probably less important in predictive value than how close the game was in terms of score, so I get that, but... Aaron, can you explain a little bit about how they are 26th as opposed to, say, maybe 15th or 16th? Right. Like I said, they are the antimatter Eagles. The Eagles this year have three huge victories, Pittsburgh, Minnesota, and, and Atlanta. The rest of their Eagles games have been consisting of games where they slightly outplayed the other team and usually lost close mm-hmm. or were slightly outplayed themselves and lost. But there aren't any really bad games for the Eagles. Just three really good ones and a lot of average ones. Detroit is the opposite. Detroit has three really bad games by DVOA. 
weeks three and four, they lost in Green Bay and in Chicago, and the scores were closer than the underlying play-by-play would indicate. Week six is a particularly weird one. That's the one where they beat the Rams, I believe, 31-28. But they let Case Keenum, of all people, throw for 321 yards and three touchdowns. So they have a terrible rating for that game, even though they won. The rest of the year, the Lions are close to zero in pretty much all their games. The last couple are about 20% above average. They're two of their three best games of the year are the last two weeks. The third is uh, week one. And so that drags their rating down because of those couple of bad games. But in reality, they've generally been an average team, not a bad team. In the same way that the Eagles have generally been an average team, not a great team, except for three specific games. So kind of pointing out those three different games, those three really bad games for the Lions were in weeks three, four, and six. I think that kind of begs the question whether there might be any evidence that this team, the Lions, are actually getting better. You mentioned that the last two weeks were two of their three best DVOA um, weeks of the season. I think their win at the Saints last week was the first time all year that they've were either ahead or, or behind with more than a touchdown. So they won by more than a touchdown for the week. Is there anything – I know that you mentioned before how like early season versus late season stuff isn't always very predictive, but is there anything happening with the Lions maybe that would suggest to you that this team could be improving? I mean, someone said it might be a little bit more predictive this year simply because things are so tightly packed together, right? I mean, that's the other thing about Detroit being 26th. 26th this year isn't that far below 22nd or even, you know, 18th because things are so tightly packed together. There's a big gap right below Detroit in the ratings, right? The gap between Detroit and the team that's behind them, Jacksonville, is the biggest gap in the DVOA ratings between any two teams. In fact, I don't think there's a bigger gap in the DVOA ratings between teams that are four or five spots apart than there is between Detroit and the team behind them, which is Jacksonville. So um, just teams are really close together, and Detroit happens to be last out of all those teams. But their their offense hasn't been better in recent weeks, but the defense definitely has. They were dead last on defense through the middle of the season. They are 12th for the last four weeks of the season. Uh, so their defense has definitely improved. Getting Ziggy Ansah back from an injury was a big part of that and giving him a couple of weeks to kind of get back up to speed because he's their best pass rusher by far. Yeah, I mean, the sacks maybe haven't shown up too much for Ansa so far this season, but their pressure rate has been improving. They've finished in the top three among all teams the last two weeks in defensive pressure rate. So that seems like a good sign for the defense. I would say it's probably a good sign. It looks like DeAndre Levy, their best probably best defensive player, best defensive linebacker, looks like he could potentially play this week or maybe next week. That could be a big help for the team. And I wanted to get your thoughts on a third player on their defense. Um, is a safety, Miles Killebrew. He's a rookie, and he intercepted Breeze as one of their three interceptions in that game last week. Um, what are your thoughts on him? He seems to be getting worked more and more into their defensive plans. Yeah, definitely. I, I, do, I have a friend in the Detroit front office, and I talked to him a little bit about Killebrew, and they've been going to more three safety looks, which is something that they did a lot a couple years ago, and they were number two in DVOA defensively. And they see Killebrew as their version of Tyran Matthew or, you know, what... Um, sorry, I'm De- blanking on his name. For Green, for, for Green Bay, like what Mark... You know, Mark Barron, I guess, a little bit mm-hmm. for the Rams, but for uh, Micah Hyde for Green Bay. Yeah. 
you know, this new sort of newfangled safety slash linebacker slash slot corner job, right? Yeah. Um, Killebrew is their guy to fit that position, and they'll be running more three safety looks with Killebrew and that sort of safety slash linebacker. You know, uh, Patrick Chung has been playing that for the Patriots. Uh, Daniel Sorensen has been playing it for the Chiefs. So Killebrew is that guy for the Lions, and they are really high on him. So it seems like the Lions do have a couple of players on defense that can maybe make a difference for them down the stretch that they haven't had advantage of all season long. And I'm wondering, too, if, if maybe the Lions' offense can sort of help limit the exposure of the defense. The comparison that I want to draw is to the Cowboys. In, in the Saints game, uh, they controlled the ball. I think they had the ball for like 38 minutes of, of the total 60. So it, it's like their defense is on the field a lot less often, and the other team can't run as many plays. I don't know if that's something that you think might be consistent, but can the Lions' offense sort of help limit the, the damage that their defense would do if they were on the field more? Well, the problem is that if they want to do that, they have to do it entirely through short passes because their running game is so ineffectual this year, right? The Lions are 10th pass offense and 29th run offense, uh, and their best running back is essentially a receiver, which is Theo Riddick. Yeah, Riddick, he's actually been really good this year as a general player. He's broken tackles on 22.8% of his touches. That's the ninth highest among backs with 100 or more touches. But like you mentioned, he's really a receiver more than he is a runner. He has more receiving yards, 371, than rushing yards, 358. So you're like maybe he can be a Deion Lewis kind of player, but they definitely don't have a traditional running attack. Amir Abdullah got hurt in Week 2, and Week 2 is the only game all season the Lions have rushed for 100 yards as a team. It seems kind of insane to me, but... Uh, yeah, I, I went back and looked at teams that are sort of a similar split to this on offense. So teams that are in the bottom six in rush DF, DVOA, but like the top ten in passing DVOA. And it's not, you know, a list of teams with huge success. Um, I'll tell you an interesting name from, you know, the, the most interesting team that falls into that category is the 2003 Tennessee Titans, who had the most extremely imbalanced offense we've ever seen, that they were the number one passing attack and number 30 in running efficiency, which was crazy because <laughs> they were built around the run. It was a Jeff Fisher team with Eddie George. And literally every drive was like Eddie George for one yard, Eddie George for two yards, Steve McNair makes a great play on third down. <laughs> um, and they made it to the AFC Championship game in the freezing cold of Foxborough lost to the Patriots. Most of the other teams that have a split like this are teams that won double-digit games and made the playoffs, but lost, usually in their first game of the playoffs. For example, the 2009 Chargers, the 2001 Dolphins, the 1994 Patriots, the 2012 Falcons beat Seattle in their first game by a touchdown and then I believe lost in the uh, NFC Championship game. The one exception is the 2008 Cardinals, nice. who were ninth passing and 28th rushing and only 9-7 and seven, and somehow made it within a minute and a half of winning the Super Bowl. So uh, if there's any team for the Lions to try to, to emulate, that would be it. Uh, but that kind of a run does not happen very often. 
It, it definitely hasn't happened a lot before, but it seems like if there was ever going to be a year, it, this kind of seems like a year of imbalance, right? Yes. I mean, it reminds me of 2011. So 2011 was not quite as closely tight-knit earlier in the season, but by the end of the season, the 2011 standings were really close. The wins and losses were not. I mean, we had a 15-1 and one Green Bay team, but that team was 15-1 and because they won a lot of close games. They weren't really a 15-1 and one quality team. And they got upset in the playoffs by a Giants team that was 9-7 and seven yeah. and went on to win the Super Bowl. And that year also had a ton of imbalanced teams, right? You had a Patriots team that lost to the Giants in the Super Bowl that was number one on offense and like 30th on defense or something, which reminds us of this year where every team seems to be either really good on offense or really good on defense. And so I think like 2011, that this year sets up for playoff upsets and it's anybody's ball game once we get into the playoffs, except, to be honest, whoever wins the AFC South. It's <laughs> not their ball game. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, we'll talk about that probably in future weeks. But heading back to the Lions there, I mean, like what you said, I mean, it's got to be great news to the Lions. Maybe they're not a great team, but they're in a great position. And if there aren't any other good teams, it seems like they would have a chance as much as anyone else. Oh, and at this point, what matters is your record more than your rating of course. when it comes to getting into the playoffs, right? I mean, we have Green Bay and Minnesota with a better rating than them, but the two-game lead is just really hard to overcome with four games to play. That's what I was going to ask, um, whether the Lions can feel secure in, in the fact that they're ahead in the North. It seems like against the Vikings, a two-game lead plus the fact that they beat the Vikings twice, they have to be eliminated, right? But the Packers... You know, the Packers beat Detroit earlier this year, and they play each other again down the stretch. So if the Packers can beat the Lions in that game, it's only really a one-game lead at that point, right? Yeah, the one thing that gives the Vikings life is that Washington and Philly and the Giants have lost games in recent weeks. So the odds of the wild card, second wild card coming from outside the NFC East are a little greater. The Vikings have almost no chance to win the division because they lose that tiebreaker to Detroit. Yeah. Um, Green Bay is a different story because uh, if they beat Detroit, they'll have the head-to-head tiebreaker by, by sweeping them, uh, although they do have to go to Detroit, and I believe that's week 17, so that, that may end up as the last Sunday night game. Um, but right now, we have Detroit winning the division in 70% of the simulations. They get a wild card in another 11%. Um, but it's uh, it's most likely going to be Detroit's division. It is really interesting, I will say, just looking forward a little bit, there are a number of Week 17 games that may end up being essentially play- playoff play-in games. Yeah, It actually sets up really well this year. Green Bay-Detroit could be for a division title. Houston-Tennessee could be for a division title. Um the uh, the uh, New Orleans-Atlanta game technically could be for a division title, though not likely. Giants-Washington could be for a wild card. Um, Patriots-Dolphins could be, you're either in or out for the Dolphins, and it could be number one or two seed for the Patriots. Oakland-Denver could be for the AFC West for Oakland and in and out for Denver. There's some pretty good games setting up for Week 17, but I digress. No, that's great. 
and I think we're probably going to continue to talk about some of these really interesting games as the the season progresses towards the playoffs. Also, there's Cleveland and Pittsburgh, which is not interesting. <laughs> but it may be important. Maybe if Cleveland <laughs> could get their first win of the year and knock I'll the Steelers out of the playoffs, right? I'll probably put that one in the back pocket <laughs> for the Steelers, I think. <laughs> you never know. You never know. Like, what if Roethlisberger gets hurt? But you know what? We'll talk about that when the time comes. Let's go ahead and finish this week out by talking about a game that's this week between the Patriots and the Ravens on Monday. You already mentioned that the fact that Kansas City won, handing Oakland their third loss of the season was very important for the Patriots and their odds of getting the number one seed. But let's talk a little bit about the Ravens, because by smashing the Dolphins, I'm assuming they've really improved dramatically in just the DVOA standings and everyone's opinion about how good a team this could be, right? Yeah, definitely. Their uh, rating went up from 13th to 9th this week. And more importantly is they found offense, which they have not had all year, right? I mean, there was a point a couple weeks ago uh, where Baltimore was the dead last offense in our ratings. They're now 27th, and they're 23rd in weighted offense. And so if uh, if they kind of have a better offense, then you think, you know, that that gives them a little bit more of a shot. Now, I, I will say the Baltimore offense is worse than it looks. They've played the easiest schedule of opposing defenses of any team in the NFL so far. Yeah, so, I mean, I get that. But there are some changes to the offense that could maybe be responsible for the resurgence beyond just that. So, like, Kenneth Dixon is the guy that really stands out to me, the running back that's been used some over the last four weeks. He's breaking tackles on 29.7% of his touches. That's the third highest among backs with, with at least 50 touches. Obviously, he hasn't played a lot this year, so you would expect that number to come down going forward. But I feel like that maybe is adding another dimension to an offense that pretty much only had the deep ball to Mike Wallace before you know he kind of got worked into the mix. Does that seem fair to say? Yeah, and also Pitta. Pitta is playing a big role. And it's interesting that the DVOA versus types of receivers does not show tight ends and running backs as a particular weakness of the Patriots compared to other positions but it it certainly has seemed to have been in the last few weeks and i think that pitta is going to have a big role in this game because with the the patriots have been struggling against shorter passes um and also passes on the right side interestingly enough um which is odd they don't play their cornerbacks on specific sides but there's for some reason they've been much much stronger against passes on the left side than Passes on the right, but I think tight ends and running backs have been giving them trouble. And, you know, Alandon Roberts hasn't quite replaced Jamie Collins. And I think that you'll see a lot of, like, Dixon passes and Dennis Pitta in this game. The thing is that as far as running with Dixon, the Patriots are number four against the run on defense. They're 25th against the pass. Some of the uh, some of the pass-run splits on defense in the AFC East are astonishing. Like, you think that fourth against the run and 25th against the pass is remarkable until you look and see that the Jets are number two against the run and dead last against the pass. (laughs) (laughs) But either way, right, I mean, the Jets are obviously not in this game. The Patriots are. The Patriots are very strong against the run. I do not see Baltimore running the ball significantly well. Of course, the Patriots won't either since Baltimore has the best run defense that DVOA has ever measured in 27 years. 
for sure. I'm like, I get it with the Patriots why their run defense would be better than their pass defense. We've talked nonstop about their lack of, of pass pressure all year, but that's weird with the Jets because they actually have guys that you think of as being good pass rushers. But Except they don't. I mean, what they have, <laughs> the thing is, when you think of their good pass rushers, you're still thinking of the defensive linemen who play a lot of a 3 4 yeah. you know, gapping, swallow guys up. The best players are, are, are Muhammad Wilkerson and Leonard Williams, and those guys are all just going to be much stronger against the, the run, run, given the way that the, the, the scheme is. That makes sense. Okay, but I digress as well. So you're right. Maybe maybe the Ravens will have trouble moving the ball against the Pats, but is it the case that the Pats will be able to successfully move the ball against the Ravens? So if the Ravens are the number one defense against running backs, can they stop the passing game? I mean, obviously that's a big part of what the Patriots are doing with Brady as well. Right, and that's the thing is that the Baltimore is, remember a couple of years ago, they could not stop the deep pass at all. Yeah. This year, they are number two against the deep pass. 15, I'm sorry, 16 yards past the line of scrimmage or more. But they're 18th against short passes. They are 22nd against running backs in the passing game. They are 18th against slot receivers, although they don't allow a lot of yards to slot receivers because, for some reason, their opponents haven't thrown to slot receivers a lot, but they have allowed some efficiency there more than other teams, and the Patriots will have no problem throwing to... You know the third guy, whoever that may be. I guess with Malcolm Mitchell on the outside, that put Edelman on the inside. The Ravens' best coverage is against tight ends this year. They're the number one defense against tight ends by DVOA. Uh, but so you know another maybe lesser game for Martellus Bennett. But uh, I don't think they would have shut down Gronk, and now they don't have to. Um, I guess I'm just not that worried as a Patriots fan about this game. I realize Patriots fans are so worried about the Ravens all the time, but just the team that the Ravens are this year is just doesn't look that dangerous compared to, like, the Broncos the following week. I think that the Patriots are just going to be able to short pass these guys to death. They, they're going to be like, oh, I'm sorry, are you the best run defense of all time? We're going to not run the ball at all for the entire game. We're going to run, like, three times. And they'll be fine with that. They don't. It's really actually kind of interesting because the following week they play Denver, and Denver is the opposite. Denver is the number one pass defense. They have the be- they have a better pass defense rating than they did last year, but they're twenty sixth against the run this year. So next week the Patriots are going to be like, please here enjoy thirty carries for Legarrette Blunt. This week it's going to be like two carries for Legarrette Blunt. So what you're saying is fantasy players like myself should go with Deion Lewis this week over Blunt. I went with Spencer Ware over Blunt, which may not have been a good decision either, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Go with Dion Lewis. This is a Dion Lewis week. Right. This is a Dion Lewis week. Looking forward to see it. He's an exciting player. Um, I'm guessing that some of your, your Patriots friends, what they may be worried about is the fact that the Ravens really need this game and really need maybe all their games because of the fact that the Steelers have an easier schedule than them. Um, if the Ravens were to lose this game to the Patriots, does that sort of erase their hopes? Or does the fact that they still play the Steelers mean that they can afford maybe a loss in one of their other games? Um, I think that they can afford a loss. It's not easier on them. I mean, if the Patriots win this game, the Ravens' uh, playoff odds drop to about one-third. It sort of goes from half and half between the two teams to Pittsburgh two-thirds, Baltimore one-third. But uh, the Ravens still... Still, if they win in Pittsburgh, things look good for them. The problem is that that game is in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Right? And so, I mean, you have to, like I said, you have to think of Pittsburgh as having kind of a Cleveland win in their pocket already. Um, but it's not 
the worst, you know, it's not the end of the world for Baltimore to lose this game. I think that our system, the playoff odds give the odds of this division as roughly 50-50, well, probably more like 55-45 in Pittsburgh's favor, with the knowledge that it expects Baltimore to be more likely to lose this game. So if they do lose this game, they still have a shot. They would, If they lose this game, though, they really need to win in Pittsburgh. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to this game and several other games this week. And I guess going all the way through the rest of the season, that you know, it's a distant memory early in the season when the ratings were down and, and some of the games weren't very interesting. Everything is looking really good right now, except for my Panthers. No, well, yeah, the Panthers are out. <laughs> I think the next four weeks become important because I think that with the teams all so close this week, uh, sorry, so close this year in the ratings, who is home field? becomes really important and uh i think that means that the games these these games for playoff seeding take up a little bit more importance because uh whoever's at home is going to be favored in almost every playoff game except again involving the afc South. <laughs> exactly well great i'm really looking forward to talking to you again next week aaron to uh to recap all of the crazy fallout from this week Everybody, I hope you enjoy your games this week. We'll be back next week, probably around the same time. I encourage everyone to subscribe to the Off the Charts Football Podcast on iTunes and and wherever else you get podcasts. And definitely check out footballoutsiders.com for all of the great content from Aaron and the other guys and the the premium charting stuff that we try to work into these podcasts. That's all available on there as well for some subscriptions. Thanks so much, and we'll talk to you next week.